Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Rose Podcast. This week, all about you answering four of your questions. I need to let you know I did something expansive to do this. I was afraid to go on YouTube and do it live because I'd never done it before. I was afraid to get it wrong. I was afraid to hit the wrong button and then go live, you know, and be in a weird position or something. But I did it and I didn't mess it up. And it doesn't matter if I did anyways. And I wanted to remind you that the first time we do anything, it's scary. But then it becomes a little more familiar and we get better at it and we learn about it. And that's what's going to happen. The first time I ever recorded a podcast, the first time I ever did a live video, I was terrified of video when I first started. First time I wrote my first post. So if you're sitting on any first times, any first things, any expansive things, I promised you and I say that I will always do everything that is scary that requires my expansion and I did it and I will continue to do it. And my invitation to you is that you are, if you are sitting on something that is scary but requires your expansion, do it now. There is no point in waiting to come fully alive. That is your PSA announcement. And I can't say that enough. I can't say that enough because the reminder to continue cracking as you grow. You must, 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 must. The work is never done. And the more you heal, the more you grow, the more you expand, the more you invite other people around you to do just the same. And that is the beautiful gift that transformation provides. And it is how you, who you are a being that is inspiring. And so thank you for being you. Thank you for being here. I'm so grateful that I get to do this. So this Q&A, four questions all about you. I want to remind you that wherever you listen to this, hit subscribe, leave a five-star review, a written review. I'm so grateful. Have the most wonderful day. Enjoy the Q&A. I go on some rants. We go flying off. It uh, doesn't matter your relationship status. doesn't matter any of that. It's a fun exploration in the human condition. And that is maybe my, that is my favorite thing to do. It is hard to be a human. It's scary but we're in it together. So let's do it. Okay. So question number one, is it normal to find yourself less attracted to partners after healing and setting boundaries? That's a good question. I've been doing a lot of inner child work for a while now and have come incredibly far given I've had an insecure attachment style since I was young. I'm currently in a very healthy and supportive and transparent relationship. Yet I've found that the work I, the more work I do, the less interested I find myself in being in a relationship. I've come to realize that I do not need anyone else to be happy. My partner is amazing, but the yearning or desperation I once felt for another is gone. It feels as though even the concept of love of another is unnecessary. Is this normal on this journey? Will I feel crazy love again or is this it? Wow, what a freaking phenomenal question. You know, it's a, isn't that interesting? As we learn about ourselves and we do healing work, which is essentially falling in love with ourselves, then we do we lose the spark to someone we are in love with who is safe? Now, I think there's a couple things that are at play here. One is the more you develop independence and sovereignty over yourself, the more you can take care of yourself, the more um, you are financially stable for yourself, the less you will need another. That is, you know, because there's 
what is at play here is so this person who's asking this question is experiencing expansion and dependence upon their self. So they are no longer dependent upon another. Now, this is beautiful because what it does is it's the healing of codependency. Codependency is essentially this enmeshment, this I need you to be happy. I need you to survive. I need this this crazy, which is basically wound-based chemistry, right? Is I have these parts of myself that don't feel whole. You fit perfectly in those, so I don't have to pay attention to these parts. Your wounds match my wounds. Oh my gosh, we're this beautiful smorgasbord of wound-based lovemaking. Probably the sex is ecstatic like that, right? We love to just orgasm all over each other as that type of connection is alive. And of course, crazy creates crazy sex, right? We know that to be true. I mean, a friend told me, right? So here is a beautiful thing that is in your self-awareness. So the person asking this question, I just want to celebrate you for asking this question because it is a beautiful sense of self-awareness. What is occurring is that your definition of love, will I feel crazy love again or is this it? Love is peace. Love is actually calm. Love is actually safety. Love is actually security. When we feel chaotic, when we have crazy love, you think about it like, what are butterflies in the stomach? Butterflies are essentially anxiety, right? That if you think about it from just a pure evolutionary biological perspective, when you feel that level of, uh, you're like, there's a sense of anxiety, which anxiety and excitement have a pretty thin line, you know? And I think in studies where someone's about to give a talk, if they say they're anxious, they don't perform as well versus they say they're excited. Um, and it's not to discredit when there is true anxiety present. But what's really cool is as we individuate, the definition of love that Disney gave us no longer actually exists because we see we're not waiting for someone to save us. We're not waiting for a prince in knight in shining armor to come get us from a tower. You know, if we're speaking in a, in a heteronormative sense that women are waiting to be saved and often presenting as problems waiting to be solved. So the man feels needed. And if the man isn't needed as a provider or a saver, the saver, then does he have a role? And that's the man's work to do the work upon their own worth and know that they have worth outside of providing and outside of saving. And when they stop doing that and the other person heals themselves, both people do self-healing and they're no longer enmeshed. Now, what occurs is that wound-based chemistry, which is really uh, wanting to fuck or make love to what hurts us, right? Being attracted to the things that hurt us. And I remember hearing this really interesting perspective, which was that if you watch pornography a lot, if you took away the pornography, what's the story that you seek? There's often a wounding in the story that we seek in the pornography or the fantasies that we have to be saved, to be, you know, whatever it is. And so it's interesting just to, I mean, that's not always going to be true. So don't look too deep into that, but it's a fascinating thought process. And in this, this question why do I find myself less attracted? What you do is actually what you're doing is recalibrating your chemistry, recalibrating your individuation. A lot of people have only observed love that is chaos. So they, when they experience chaos, uncertainty, not being chosen, parents that you can't depend on, we that becomes a template of what we're attracted to. I'm attracted to people who I can't depend on. That doesn't make any sense, right? And so when you think about someone who's like, we know chemistry 
doesn't always make rational sense because we can often be attracted to people who aren't good for us. If chemistry was drawing us to our soulmate always, it would draw us to good people who are dependable. But isn't it funny that when someone's like, you know, I don't really like that guy. Like he calls when he says he's going to and he's like dependable. Fuck this. This is ridiculous. But what's happened is we have to learn to recalibrate ourselves. And there is a space between the old draw, the old desire to complete ourselves through another, to chase another, to to finally get someone to save us, to see us, to choose us, for us to be enough for their behavior to change. When we stop doing that, we stay present within ourselves. And when we stay present within ourselves, there's a space where we see that we don't need to chase it from another. So chemistry is ultimately drawing us in those cases to people we need to learn to say no to so we can realize our worth doesn't live in them. It lives in us. It lives in the no. It lives in the no longer chasing. So that draw is to learn that peace and calm within self is actually love now. Love can start and chemistry can start to die in relationships when we've forgotten about ourselves, when we don't have boundaries, when we don't have individuation, when we don't pursue our own passions and our own dreams and all our own things. And the reason it does there is because why would you want to have sex with someone that you blame for losing yourself if you've ever even known who you are? So that's why in that conversation, like Esther Perel talks about uh, that love and and desire are always at odds that love needs safety and predictability and closeness and desire needs distance and mystery. But that, you know, that is true. And I would say that it's that codependency and desire are at odds because when we feel like we've lost ourselves in a relationship and there's no space between us and another, and I think it's more about an individuation, about having our own identities. So when I said enmeshment is the healing of, is the, is the interlaying of wounds. We wound each other in ways that are compatible with the ways we were wounded as children. So we fit perfectly like a puzzle when you get, uh, when you separate from that or learn to individuate in that, you notice that in a relationship, a relationship becomes a separate entity. I remember my dad saying this to me when I was like 25 and it stuck with me, although I didn't understand it at the time. I do remember him saying it. I was complaining about my girlfriend at the time. And just so you know, this shows you that people can change and grow that I once thought this way and I now would never think this way ever again, but you got to think an old way to learn a new way. And I remember saying to my dad complaining, my partner at the time was telling me, this was when I was in my early 20s, She was telling me about things she was upset about or angry about or unhappy about. She was unhappy about. And I said, well, if it's so bad, like, why are you in the relationship? Instead of like, hey, I'm sorry to hear that. How can I make it better? You know, that's just how dismissive I was. Uh, I was afraid of actually receiving criticism and knowing that it actually landed because it did land. And I was telling my dad this. My dad said, Mark, a relationship is a separate organism. It needs to be nurtured and loved and invested in separately. There is you and there is her. And then there is the relationship. And I was like, yeah, sure, dad, whatever you're saying. But this shows you that, that, that the relationship itself, you know, we often ask questions like, or we say statements like, my relationship isn't giving me what I need. Instead of asking questions like, what would my relationship need from me in order to feel the way I want it to feel? 
And you notice how different that is? That's a, instead of expecting your relationship to give you something, you're saying, I'm actually in charge and responsible for what I invest in my relationship. So I would, I would say that there's twofold in this question. One is, are you defining love in a way that is about uncertainty and, and a lack of predictability? Like that there is, if they, if they told you they were going to leave, would all of a sudden you want them more? You know, if they were all of a sudden not listening to you and, and didn't consider your feelings, would you be more attracted to them? And I think on the invitation of the other side of the partner, have boundaries. You have to have boundaries in, within relationship because if your partner, if you're complying with everything they say at the cost of yourself, they can feel that within their body and they won't trust you. And that doesn't matter the gender combination. And I think that can be especially true for men and women where the man is complying because he wants to be a nice guy and underneath the woman doesn't trust him because he's not being authentic and true to himself, that he's um, bending and breaking for them. But this can be any gender combination. I'm just being heteronormative in that example because I think it's often more often true because men tend to be afraid of standing in their truth when they're trying to be nice guys to get a girl to not be like other men. But in that it's contrived. It creates unconscious contracts. And I've said before, there's a great book called No More Mr. Nice Guy. If you identify as a nice guy or as a, ni or as a nice girl, you can read that book and it would apply. But in the book, Robert Glover, who wrote the book, he says, if you don't stand up to her, she won't believe you'll stand up for her. And I've always loved that line because it says that there's a safety and a security that's created in a no a no, a true guttural, real no. Like that's not actually okay what you did. That's not actually okay how you spoke to me. People respect that. They respect that. And you might get tested to see if you can actually stand in the truth of who you are and, and at the cost of potentially losing someone. Because when you say yes, when you really mean no, people can feel it. And then what you're doing is contrived and it becomes inauthentic and it is not attractive. So it can kill attraction. And that's why the first thing that is attractive in relationships is when someone says, no, I got my own thing tonight, but I'd love to see you on Friday. And because we respect that people of high self-worth don't forget about themselves. And it's not a badge of honor to forget about yourself for a relationship, although we have certainly been taught that. So I think there's many layers to this. And there's also an opportunity for the recalibration of what is chemistry and love and, and interdependence versus codependence. So congratulations to whoever asked this question. That is tremendous growth, tremendous awareness. And maybe there's some things to think about um, before you go throwing in the towel, because the towel doesn't need to be thrown in. It sounds like you are tremendous partners. You just maybe need to tune some things and go deeper, even deeper into the layers of what systems are operating below the surface. Okay. Question number two. I mean, this one, I'm just reading the title of it and I'm like, this is a good one. How do I end a trauma bond? Ooh. I grew up with a parent who was an alcoholic and another one who was codependent. That's a match. Yeah. Which has always led me to have very unhealthy ways of coping. I have been on and off with the man for the past four years, who I know, in caps, has total red flags. At the root of our relationship, it is familiar. Familiar as in, he's a reflection of my father, an alcoholic, with severe PTSD from the war, and I end up feeling emotionally neglected. Our connection has a very primal feeling. Remember I said that? Uh, that wound-based chemistry makes you want to bang what hurts you. It's a very interesting phenomenon. 
We always seem to gravitate to each other so strongly, especially when things aren't going well. I know, in caps. I need to let go, but I find myself obsessing over him. That's another sign of room-based chemistry. It seems clear that it is what we call a trauma bond because at, I feel at home with him and the pain he has caused. Ooh. I was hoping you could have some insight on how to let go when the pull is so strong. How do I put what I know about trauma into action? There's so many beautiful levels of awareness that occurs here. One is one first step that sort of goes beyond where we're at in this is the recognition that we have a choice, that there's actually a choice that lives within this, which in the context of this with your father, there is a lack of choice in some sense, because as a child, you can't just leave and survive. So there's a perception that there's a lack of choice in the participation of the pattern. But in the recognition that there's a choice, now you know that you have to choose also what you value. What do you value? If you value respect, honesty, you want a healthy and loving relationship. It's going to require a behavior from you that you have based on what you've said, never seen demonstrated for you. Like you said, you have a alcoholic father and a codependent partner to that alcoholic father. So codependent partners who bond with alcoholics who don't have boundaries, right? So they're the enabler. You're again enabling, but suffering in the enabling. So I need to endure this because the connection I don't have a choice in the connection. You know, I know you consciously know you have a choice, but this is on a biological level. This is going on in, a, in your body that there's a fear if I let this go, if I leave this, I don't have a choice. One, the acknowledgement that you do. And two, that beyond what you're, beyond the choice you're afraid to make, which is the severing, the stopping of the relationship, is a total unfamiliarity. There's a new way of being, a new way of living that you've never seen. And this is how we stay in patterns of inherited destruction, in patterns of inherited behaviors is we've never seen someone leave. So how do we know how to leave? We don't know that you'll survive in beyond that. So there's a there's an edge of uncertainty that is terrifying. And so first, I want to acknowledge the immense amount of courage that is required to make a choice you've never seen made and that you've never made yourself. And that's why when we say no to something, it's easy to go back to it because we're right on the edge of the transformation. We're right on the edge of life changing. We're right on the edge of the new relationship, of the new pattern, of the new thing. But that's the hardest edge. That's the dark night of the soul. That's the moment you've never seen past. That's the part that you don't know how you're going to survive without the person, the thing, the drug, whatever it is, the pattern, the choice, because in the pattern is still a reward. There's still a reward in the pattern. There's certainty. Even though it's painful certainty, there's the elation of the chemistry, of the sex, of the the ups and downs of the relationship, the drama, all the shit. And there's also the please change for me. Finally, I wish my father would have changed for me, for my mom, for whoever. Can you please change and just heal? And you realize that we're participating in the lack of healing because we're enabling the lack of healing by staying in the pattern. So the true invitation is our own healing. We often get obsessed with people who need to be fixed to avoid our own work. Our addiction is their addiction. Our addiction is them. And so we're suffering from the same thing, hoping they will get sober when we need to get sober. And so the true growth here is, how do you do it? You do it by doing it. It's easy for me to say this, 
but the courage is in the change. The courage is in the choice. I believe it's um, Abraham Hicks who says, words don't teach, actions do. I can only tell you that on the other side is the freedom you seek and all the things you seek, but you will not know that till you choose it. And I promise you that with the right support, you can get through that. And on the other side is everything you've wanted. And there's freedom, true freedom, true freedom. The lack of the need to chase another to feel at home. Because you said the feeling is at home with him and the pain he has caused. But you'll see that home is truly the lack of chasing. Home is within yourself. What you seek in him, you seek in you. And he is distracting you from the pain that lives in the space that is home. So when we can get to know the painful parts of ourselves, the neglected part of ourselves, the abandoned part of ourselves, the story that we deserved, a father who was sober, a father who was around, a father who was safe, that when we just observe that and give ourselves permission, that's the moment that things change. Because now we acknowledge the dark, quote unquote, the shadow part of us that we don't want to acknowledge, the pain that we don't know how to sit in. You know, the I love that line that we have to continue to get sober from the things that pull us away from who we are. And that's like playing whack-a-mole, right? Because it's so easy to be addicted to so many things, so many socially acceptable things. I mean, one of the essential services during COVID in BC, but it, I think it's true globally, is alcohol. Even the hours of the liquor stores are earlier. Well, gosh, alcohol is related. Now we have a rapid increase in domestic violence, in uh, alcoholism, obviously, in mental illness, all the things. And, you know, it, it just shows you that it's, there are so many socially acceptable ways of experiencing um, distraction from self, from the work. And of course, as a collective, we're distracted from the pain and the work. Look how we treat our planet. We have to be distracted to actually live in a world where we treat our planet the way we do. That's my PSA for the planet. Question three, the work wife. Mm. Hey, Mark, I have been in a relationship with my partner for about two years now. We have had great times, not so great times, and it appears that we always are on a roller coaster of emotions. My biggest issue is his job. I'm proud of him for being a lead specialist, but he is only one of three males in an office full of females. That normally would not bother me. However, before and during our relationship, he has had many inappropriate conversations, such as calling women sexy and taking them out for lunch. I have found messages where he has told other women in the office that he missed them when I was in the hospital. Oof. He is referred to by other women as the office boyfriend and women leave gifts, flirty notes, and call him after hours. At work events I attend with him, the women will come up and hug him and will rarely even ever say hi to me, let alone try to have a conversation with me. I mean, I'm already this guy. I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, when I question him, he says he's just being nice to keep his job. No responsibility for self here. This guy. I mean, I hate to say this, but right now I think he's a toolbox. He is adamant that he has never crossed the line with anyone, but messages between them tend me, lend me to believe otherwise. I cannot tell if he is clearly oblivious to what is flirting and what isn't, or if he is just obsessed with female attention and flirting himself, 
I want to make this work, but I am angry every time he stays late at the office or sends a heart emoji to a coworker. Please let me know if I am overreacting. Anyone else want to take a deep collective breath to what we just listened to? Listen, whoever wrote this question in, one, I want to acknowledge you for what you are sitting in and also let you know, one, I don't get to decide whether you're overreacting or not, but I can tell you right now that you have the right to the feelings you have. You know, this is often what we code when we are afraid we're too much. Any emotional response that's actually protective of us, that's actually valuable information, gets coded in the too much box. And then we think there's something wrong with us. And we look for what's wrong with us to accommodate what's wrong with life in the situation. This is a clearly, obviously, I'm, I'm going to make some assumptions here. And I'm not going to be as tender as I may sometimes need to be. Because when I see these patterns, you know, I, I really think like the great times and not so great times, that's normal in a relationship to go through that. But you've said he's had inappropriate conversations during your relationship, calling women, women sexy and taking them out for lunch. Listen, taking someone out for lunch that's a colleague can be boundaried and healthy. That doesn't have, but calling them sexy and taking them out for lunch completely changes things. That's like a, you know, a complete, you know, it's like texting someone and texting someone a dick pic. Those are completely different text conversations. So, there are boundaries that need to be placed here and safety that is needs to be set for you. Look, relationships are about safety. They're about, if life got rocky, would you be here for me? And that's true for workplaces too. If things are rocky, will you be here for me? If life gets uncertain, will you be here for me? If I have an emotional need or a response, will you listen? For me, the container of the relationship, the, the connection that lives between you and another is the most sacred. And the protection of that is the most sacred work. It's the most important work. And that might be a new, you know, that's definitely a new way of relating, a new way of being. But this sounds like from the start, there's, you know, one, I'm doing it to be nice to keep my job. I mean, come on, talk about not taking responsibility for your behavior. Um, I would set some boundaries here. The boundaries would be, I need, I don't like it. That's not the boundary yet. I'm just going to rant a little more. I don't like it when the relationship is not being protected and when people don't introduce you to their opposite sex or same-sex friendships, depending on what they're attracted to. So I, it doesn't matter what the gender is, but if the gender that they're friends with and it feels icky, you can look and check in with yourself. Is this about past stuff that I've been through? Is there actually something to be alarmed about here? Hey, here's my friend. Tell me, ask your good friend who tells you the fucking truth, what they think about it. And usually if your friend thinks it's sketch, it's sketch, right? Like that's usually true. So when someone is not introducing you to the person that they're friends with or making an effort for them to get to know you, that is a big red flag. For me also, if... If you're a friend of someone and they're not making the effort for you to get to know their partner, that's a pretty good red flag that some shady shade stuff is going on and you might become the other person in this situation. So in the context of this, I would set some boundaries about what is and is not appropriate. Remember, you this self-worth lives in this behavior for you, which is what are you going to tolerate? What is the price of admission to be in your life? What standards do you hold for yourself? And then do you hold other people to that standard? If you tolerate this kind of shit, you're going to feel like shit. If you notice all the truths that you are making caveats for, you, 
This guy is making excuses to not create safety around the relationship. It doesn't mean he can't change, but I'd say that there is some gray area in here and some behaviors that right now are a red flag and become even, they could become base camps at Everest if you don't pay attention and you don't actually change this. So you set the standard of what you want in your life and how do you want to show up and what do you want from other people? And if he's not meeting it, you set the standard, you invite him to meet the standard. We have to stop shrinking to make people comfortable. We have to stop getting small so we can hold small containers. It's about rising and growing and being big, growing, expanding, inviting someone to meet you. Stop shrinking to keep other people comfortable. This guy needs to know that if he texts in inappropriate with other people, then you need to get rid of him. That his ass is out if he does that. There needs to be a consequence and boundaries without consequences are just suggestions. So make sure that if you have a consequence that you're willing to hold it up. You have to hold it up because if you don't hold it up, then they don't believe you. They're like, ah, oh, yeah, you said that last time. And then I just kept doing it. So when you say stuff, you don't actually mean it. So I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. I don't keep my word. You don't keep your word, right? So we start to see that this becomes a mirror of our own behavior. Now we get what we tolerate. We get what we tolerate. And, you know, I love the truth that everything that is currently in our life is there because we said yes to it. Now, if you accept that as true, because it is true, then you're now responsible for everything that's in your life. So now you get to choose what's in your life, what's not. You are the curator of your life. You're the executive producer, the caster, the director, you're the writer, you're everything. And don't hold on to someone who's average because you're afraid that there's not someone better out there. And I don't mean that just as that person dismissing them and get rid, getting rid of them. What I mean is the invitation for them to actually grow and be bigger that the better version of them exists in the invitation too. So when you someone listening goes, ah, oh, this is what we do. We just get rid of people. We don't, eh, we don't have any commitment these days. I'm saying stay committed to yourself. Invite them to grow. They can't grow. Bye. That's okay. You're not overreacting. Question number three. Fuck that. Choose yourself. And watch your worth grow. And then watch the mirror of your worth meet you who says, oh yeah, those workplace relationships, no problem, I got you. You need a boundary there from me, I got you. Now, in the caveat of all of this, we need to make sure that our requests are rational. Sometimes our stuff is old stuff living in the new relationship. And in that case, we could say, hey, I've had trust broken in the past. I need to repair it. I need to learn how to trust again. Would you participate in the healing with me and make sure that you guide me with boundaries on what is an okay request and what is not? But if you start to believe that what you're experiencing in your body in these situations and you ignore the truths that you're feeling, then you're going to start to feel like you're crazy because you're living in a world where lies are the truth. You're living in a world where you're not paying attention to reality. And that means we have to suppress and depress feelings, which causes us to become both anxious because we're not in control of our life. We're creating a future we don't actually want. And we're also creating a future that we can watch unroll, but we're not doing anything about it. It's like watching a car accident about to happen. And the other side is we'll get depressed because we're living in a world where these emotions are coming up for us. These truths are coming up for us and we're not acting on them. So we're basically saying that this other person knows more truth than we feel. We don't trust ourselves. We believe, and then we can't live within our bodies. And then our bodies become a place of inflammation. Our bodies become a, a place of inflammation because we're essentially living in freeze, fight, fly, freeze. We're essentially living in freeze. We're not doing anything about it. And when we're not doing anything about anything, especially the conflicts we're experiencing in our lives, we experience 
fight, flight, freeze, which causes inflammation, causes, you, know, you think of all the body responses to these things. I, it's not even a big stretch to say that so much health stuff is correlated to this emotional suppression as well as conflict and not dealt with conflict. There are studies about relationships that have high levels of conflict, have more leaky gut, have uh, lower healing speeds, all these types of things. So that's not a stretch. That's actually backed by science. Is that evidence-based? Yes, it is, actually. All right, last question. Whether to stay or go. Hey, Mark, I love your podcast and I've got my husband to listen to you too and we have really learned a lot. Well, thank you. We've been married seven years. We got pregnant barely knowing each other and the first six years were awful. We hated each other. In the past year, we have been in therapy and working on ourselves and our marriage. This all started with me cheating two years ago. The past two years, I've been in a struggle with myself of knowing if I should stay or go. I know we're both changing, but I wonder if I am honoring myself in this process or just staying by obligation. Can you set, shed some light on how to move forward in this process? Okay. So, this is a complex question because essentially what I say can determine whether someone stays or goes. So I want you to first know that I have no ulterior motive about what you should or should not do. I've said before, I don't care if people stay or go. I care that you connect to your truth. So all of this depends. I have to make assumptions when I read these questions. So I'm going to make some assumptions, but I want you to know that life lives in the gray. And at the end of the day, you know yourself better than anyone else knows you. And you know the feeling that is deep within your soul. Now, that can sound kind of abstract because then when we live in our heads and we're not connected to our hearts because we became academic and perfectionist so that we didn't have to feel the things we were feeling when we're disconnected from ourselves. So to make the journey back to our hearts, we have to start to feel again. And, we and often we come and ask questions like this to try to make sense of the feelings we're feeling. Now, you've been married seven years, but you got pregnant barely knowing each other, and the first six years were awful. Well, you connected based on a commitment that wasn't by choice. You made the choice to be together, not because of love, but because of a child. Now, I know some people will say, but that is love, to choose to be together for the child. No, to make the best choice for the child is actually love. Do we know each other? Should we be together? Is that in the highest service of both of ourselves? Is that in the highest service of this child? Because if you're together because of a child, what will live unconsciously in that, and this is what happens when people stay together for the kids too, is we start to unconsciously and consciously resent each other and get contemptuous. And we can also resent the child because of that. It's not a child's job to keep people together. Remember that. And it's also a child, if they had the choice between high conflict parents who hate each other and are together or parents who love each other and are apart, Love each other and together is obviously the best possible solution, but that's not always true. And so I commend you guys for doing the work. I think, you know, when we've done in this, I know you say that you're doing the work, you're going to therapy and you're doing the things. Um, there's some great questions. There's a great book called Too Good to Stay, Too Bad to Leave. And in that book, there's a couple questions I love. But first, I'm going to tell you a question that is not in that book that I think is relevant to the situation. And the question is, is staying or going abandoning yourself? Often we have lived in a state of self-abandonment. So when we stay in relationships or leave them, when we're used to self-abandoning, right? So is staying or going abandoning yourself? And then you know where your growth lies. Now, 
Also, I like to look at the systems that framed us. If we were told never get divorced, often when we get married because we had a child, it's due to religious implications or cultural implications that are religious based or both because they're so intertwined. Now, remember, religion and culture are not always connected to truth. We know that religion is not always connected to truth. The virtues and values that Christ lived by are not the same virtues and values that have been uh, extrapolated from Christ's life or any prophet's life. You know, like we would never reject the love of someone because of their gender choice or their sexual choice. That's not what Christ would do. But look, that's what religions do from an extension of serving themselves, of controlling. So stay because you choose love. Stay because you want to. Stay because it feels like expansion for you. But often we are looking for what's wrong with us when we're not observing what's wrong with the situation or what happens if there's nothing wrong with me and I'm actually a highly intelligent being and my body knows and my soul knows and it knew from the start and we stayed to learn that I've never listened to myself and I've never trusted myself. I stayed these seven years to learn and that is probably true for both of you. So if you both, again, I'm making assumptions, if you both decide to leave, remember the first person who claims it is not at fault. They're just the one who brought the truth forward because you both have fought for this. And the person who brings the truth forward is usually the person who the other person feels rejection, even though they actually want to be saved too and leave too. And so what can happen is we resent the other person for leaving because we knew we should have chosen that too, which is really kind of fucked up because both people are free, but one person's upset because they experience rejection when they've been rejecting themselves. So it's it's the freedom for both people. And I would even invite that the person who feels rejected is actually experiencing the opportunity for growth and inquiry of where their own self-rejection lives too earlier in the process. So the other questions that the book, Should I Stay or Go? Uh, too Good to Leave, Too Bad to Stay, asks, the question is, if they fixed everything and became everything you wanted, would you want to be with them? And that's such a great question because most of us don't actually just, because to me, when you start to think about if your decision affected no one and your child, you know, you have to trust that our children are meant to go through the things that they have experienced. We can't all of a sudden not have had this child based on what has occurred in our past, right? Like you can't erase what has occurred, but you can choose the right future moving forward. People connect truth. They connect to love. They connect, even if it's a hard path, it's the right path. Um, and I don't know what the right path means for you, but I know that the truth, the true path, the one that is calling to you is the one that you got to go towards. Now, another process that I remember uh, to finish that last thought process is if your choice affected no one, if you could just make the choice and it had no impact, what would you choose? And that shows you what your soul is desiring. The other way to ask it is if I put both choices in a hat and I pulled one out, which one would you hope I'd hold? When you ask this question, what did you hope I would say? All I care is that you get more connected to yourself. If you leave this relationship, it won't be the wrong decision because you might discover that you want to be in the relationship, but you wouldn't know that without leaving. If you stay and you still remain trapped and you can't seem to find resolution within it, then you know that the only thing you haven't done is leave. So just know that there is no wrong choice in this scenario because you always gain more information. But 
I want you to know that you're so loved no matter what you choose, because I know that there are so many societal prisons that are created by the expectations that we should always stay in relationship, that they should never end. But really the only reason that we say that relationships should never end is because we're afraid someone might leave us. But you know, like we all know that we're not for everybody and everyone's not for us. We've all had to break hearts in our lives and we've all had our heart broken. But do we think about the hearts we break? Do we think about when when we have to choose ourselves, we think about it, right? We think about it a lot. Um, and when we think, when we've had our heart broken, we really marinate in the pain of that. And I think this is the opportunity for grace, the opportunity to know that, you know, like when I've had a partner I had to leave, I had to find grace because I knew that asking them to stay when they're being called to leave is just a trap. They're not choosing to be there. They're having to be there. And that is so different. Let's choose things, not haves to. Let's choose to. And that's that separate, this is a separation of identity within the relationship. When you know that when the relationship is constructed from choice, not from, um, because, you know, we say like we make these vows when we get married. And I think about this often, this idea like till death do us part. Which death? Is it a mortal death or a death of self, the part of ourselves that chose it? And even within marriages, the relationship, the old relationship continues to have to die so a new one can be born. And in the context of this, in this experience, we know that when, a, when we are free to choose a relationship, then that means we're there because we want to be. And don't we all want to be in relationships because we want to be? I mean, that's everything. So with all this, sending you nothing but love to everybody. And this journey of life is a tough one. Hey, being a human is hard. Deconstructing all the things that influence us in relationship is hard. And so my heart goes out to all of you as I navigate life myself. Well, that is a wrap. Thank you for tuning in and checking out my new YouTube recorded Q&A efforts. And just a reminder to wherever you listen to this to hit subscribe and leave a written or a numeric review, a five-star review. That would be helpful. And sending you lots of love and safety and all the things. Talk soon.